Hey, Angela here. Before we begin this episode, I'd like to invite you to join our Substack community, where you'll get more founder profiles, exclusive behind-the-scenes content, first access to all my original work, and access to our community group chat. All you have to do is click the link in the description. I love and appreciate your support. It's awesome to see all your comments, email responses, and reactions. I'm happy to share this journey with you. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you guys so much for listening to Honey and Hustle. We are a visual podcast that features conversations with small business owners, creative entrepreneurs, and those in the nonprofit community. We're so glad that we started sharing our podcast here on Anchor FM. And if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, and it will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on all the major platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. If you're listening to this right now, download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Thank you to Blackology Coffee Company for sponsoring this video. Take 10% off your next order at Blackology Coffee Company by using the link at the description, www.blackologycoffeecompany.com backslash Angela. Hey everybody, my name is Angela. I'm your host and producer here at Honey and Hustle. And today I'm joined all the way from Charlotte by Joshua Sims Sr. He has a brand with his wife called Family Life Brands and they are growing and expanding so rapidly. So I'm so glad that he took a moment to speak with me while he had a little bit of downtime just about his family legacy and journey as an entrepreneur and also just his opinion on different things that are happening within uh, the entrepreneurial space and how young people are getting engaged and wanting to learn more about how to diversify their income and things of that nature. So if you're watching this, if you're listening to this, it's probably going to sound like two old friends, you know, just two cousins kicking it at the cookout. And I'm glad that it sounds like that. I'm glad that, you know, people feel comfortable talking with me about a lot of different things that aren't always easy to dive into and things that we probably just don't talk about very, very often with friends and with colleagues. So thank you guys so much for watching and let's get into this episode. have any opinions on like I don't know how to say this nicely but like gentrification versus like investing in the community Absolutely. Um, because you have like you're one of the few people I've talked to that has a physical storefront um, and I feel like that's a hot topic here in the triangle it's like you know we're seeing all these new high-rises and these new commercial property developments and opportunity zones and it's like well you know what's an well, opportunity who's the opportunity who's the opportunity for absolutely um, so, so yeah, I mean, I mean, um, my, my opinion is, is pretty straightforward about it. Um, you know, I'm originally from Winston-Salem. Um, and so just kind of having, uh, you know, somewhat of an opinion about being from Winston-Salem. I'm from the north side of Winston-Salem too, by the way, for anybody who might see this and be like, what side of the city from, from the north side? All right. But, um, in Winston, you know, we've seen gentrification happen. My grandmother, she grew up on the east side. My mom grew up on the east side of Winston. So we saw gentrification happen in somewhat of a different light um, in Winston than we're seeing it now. Like even gentrification now is like a whole nother beast than it was maybe 20, 30 years ago. So my opinion is straightforward about it. Like in some settings you can kind of see in certain situations, you can see where gentrification is a good thing. Um, but, you know, as far as for the overall optics of gentrification, 
it's it's completely kind of counterintuitive and counterproductive as it pertains to black people. So I always use this example, right? Grandma uh, bought a house in the 40s or 50s or 60s in a predominantly African-American neighborhood, really good interest rate. Um, and uh, grandma had the house for, and, and we're talking about our grandparents' generation, had the house for forever, was able to pay off her mortgage so that she could actually own the property, own the house, right? The next most natural migration that happens there should be that the child of grandma should come and take that property over at, at some point at the at the point of grandma's untimely demise or grandpa's untimely demise, right? And they go on to, to, to the to the other side, right? But that's not what happened. So we ha I start the gentrification of the gentrification conversation inside of our community first. And then I then I then I get to tearing a, a new butthole into the other communities who then come into our community and do it. But I start the conversation with our community first. Because it was our community first that decided whether or not we were going to actually stay invested into our neighborhoods. Right? So, like for instance, for example, I use this example, right? In the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, the, one of the largest employers in the African-American neighborhood was the narcotics industry, right? In those neighborhoods, and we're just now starting to hear guys like Jay-Z talk about it, and, and I think Nip even talked about it a little bit, and a lot of other rappers talk about it, right? Who are the gauges of our community and what we're trying to say. Um, they were not talking as much about, okay, the amount of money, though obviously narcotics is a terrible industry as it pertains to African-Americans, we didn't subplant the money back into our community. We then did what everybody does and you make money and then you leave. So then what happens to grandma's house? Because if grandma's house stays in that neighborhood long enough, eventually the property around it stays low enough to where new families from other communities are going to find the properties around grandma's house desirable. And then while they, when they find grandma's house, the houses around grandma's house desirable, they go in, they spend X amount of dollars in it. And then we spend money, then they spend money making the house look nice. The property value in grandma's neighborhood goes up. And though grandma doesn't have a mortgage, grandma still has to pay taxes. Grandma's tax payment is based off of how much grandma makes in her retirement. It's a really interesting game. So as it pertains to the conversation, we what happens is there's a generational, there's a really, really big generational gap in between our generation and our grandparents' generation. My grandfather's my best friend, right? My grandfather's my best friend. He lives in Wilson. Him and my grandma have stayed in Wilson for um, well over 40, 50 years, right? Well, well over 40 years, not 50 years, but well over 40 years, right? And, and well, actually it will be 40, 50 years. Yeah, so they stayed in Wilson for the most part, all of that. So they had an opportunity, obviously when you get close to retirement, you have an opportunity to then build a house in another community. Mm -hmm. They stayed in the African-American part of Wilson mm -hmm. and didn't move. Furthermore, didn't let go of any of the property that they had in the African-American community. So I don't like hearing when black people say it's not possible. I'm a product of that. I'm a product of that neighborhood. My father was a product of that neighborhood. My aunt is a product of that area. We all are products of that area. As a matter of fact, when I first graduated from undergrad, I moved back there. Hmm. And so I furthermore became a product of that neighborhood. So as it pertains to gentrification versus investing, um, I think we gotta be careful. 
Yeah. We've got to be careful as it pertains to even investing into our, as far as as far as for utilizing our neighborhoods like investment, like like real estate investments. Yeah. Because we still are driving, we're still driving the price tags up for our neighborhood. Yeah. Even if we go into our neighborhoods, right, and we play the real estate game, which I can I can get into with you about my dissatisfaction with our community and the over infatuation with real estate, mm -hmm. right? I can get into that as well with you tell me toward the end if that's something you want me to talk about, <laughs> right? But we 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 ultimately just have a, a misunderstanding, right? And I'll end it with this, right? I had a conversation with my best friend here inside the store the other day, right? And I asked him, what's the number one issue inside? What has been the number one cyclical issue, singular and cyclical issue inside of the African-American community for the longest of time, right? For as long as we can remember. And the answer is, a misunderstanding of the American version of capitalism, hmm. right? Not being a fan of it, not being a, a obviously a supporter of it as it pertains to the opportunity that we can be able to gain from it, but a total misunderstanding of it. And so that misunderstanding leads us to be able to operate in misunderstanding. And so we start, when you see a lot of misunderstanding, you see a large influence of, of, um, of uh, over infatuation and different things. So, um, I, gentrification in some settings is a good thing. Like you think about even on the east side of Winston where there are some dilapidated buildings that otherwise kind of get treated like, I mean, they're in the heart of the east side, heart of the uh, south side of Winston, heart of the north side of Winston. They get treated like, you know, they get treated like dilapidated buildings. So I do want to kind of see some investment put into it. So I would like this, there to be a version of black almost kind of like a black version of gentrification where black people were coming in and creating sustainable businesses, creating sustainable housing, creating affordable housing in these neighborhoods um, yeah. where those things exist. But um, from the overall concept of what we've seen so far from, from gentrification, it is, it's not, it genuinely generally doesn't turn out positive for African-Americans. So um, yeah. I think we got to create our own version of it. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of different pieces to it. Uh, yeah. our relationships with banks, the bank's relationships with the African-American community, our understanding of how property really works, understanding that you don't actually own something unless you actually own it. So as long as you got to pay that mortgage, you better make sure you pay that mortgage. It's yeah. very important and it's incumbent that you pay that mortgage. That's one of the things I love about our grandparents' generation. They pay their mortgages off. Cool. Mama, daddy might have had to work two, three jobs, but they paid their mortgages off. So I can ramble on and on about just my pure love for our like for for the baby boomer generation of the African-American community. Like I can go on and on about it, like because I just genuinely love that generation and what they taught us. And not that I don't love our parents generation. I think that they 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 went about it their own way. I just think our generation has got to learn the lessons that we saw a generation ahead of us uh, learn and the strategies that we saw the generation ahead of them do and then we've got to create our own kind of uh configuration of that yeah yeah so a couple of things first off like you own a company called family life brands um which i guess my take of it from what i've seen is one wanting to have a family-owned business but also leave a family legacy of business ownership and business leadership and so when you talk about at the beginning, we're talking about the difference between gentrification and investing in an opportunity zone and what that traditionally looks like for us. Um, we talked about how a lot of people didn't keep 
family um, houses in the family, right? They decided not to take on these houses, even though the mortgage was paid off a lot of the time. You know what I mean? So having generational wealth, like our misunderstanding of how generational wealth is accrued, which is Absolutely. a lot of times through land ownership, through home ownership, because that's going to be like your biggest purchase ever. Absolutely. And this like misunderstanding of capitalism, I think that's an interesting way to put it. I haven't heard anybody say it like that, but like what we think or what, I don't even say we, but what most people think about when they think of American capitalism is materialism. So things, you know, you know, your car, which depreciates as soon as you drop it off the lot, you know, jewelry, all these other things, but really like it's investing, it's stocks, it's banks, it's, you know, IRAs, it's houses, it's the things that you really don't see that maybe aren't always as flashy as, you know, this new car that you just got with whatever money. And so um, our misunderstanding of just missed opportunities to create generational wealth and how that leads to educational attainment because like if you don't have a mortgage that's more money you can save but towards like you know your kids college um, fund or whatever other endeavors they want to pursue if they don't want to go to college or they want to maybe start their own business or something like that um so it, it looks different for different people but essentially um i guess like what i would consider maybe the term for investing in an opportunity zone in a way that is healthy for the community, such as creating more opportunities for affordable housing, sustainable housing, sustainable living community is revitalization. I guess that's what I would call it, you know what I mean? Because it helps everybody when you make a place that's livable for everybody and sustainable for everybody, you know what I mean? You know, safety to get on the bus, safety to ride a bike, safety to walk around your neighborhood, you're not in a food desert anymore, you know, all these other things. That helps everybody, that helps the health of your community. So tell me a little bit more about how Family Life Brands got started. I think you started it with your wife, right? Absolutely, yeah. So, and, and even to the point kind of there is like, I, I know you're familiar with like, you're from, so you're familiar with the shepherd's pie, right? And these, what basically the shepherd's pie for those who will be watching this who don't know, who may be from other geographical areas, we're from the South. so. You know, a shepherd's pie is, is a concoction of a lot of different things, or maybe even gumbo or jambalaya. That might be a little bit better. My grandmother's jambalaya is my favorite dish, right? So jambalaya is this mix of a lot of different things, right? And as it pertains to investment in our community and, and, and our own version of gentrification, as well as our own concept of capitalism, steeped in kind of that concept of, of African-American uh, capitalism, um, it's, it's a jambalaya. It's a lot of different pieces that's got to come together to make the entire pot of really, really good pie or pot or make the entire shepherd's pie really tasteful. Um, so my attribution as it pertains to um, Family Life Brands, Family Life Brands is, 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 a, is a company that as far as the name is a company that my wife and I started. Uh, we, uh, but I'm always making sure that I'm conscious about the fact that this is actually a four generations old business, a four generations old concept that was originally started by my great grandfather. Um, so my great grandfather being a sharecropper um, kind of started our family in the seed that is entrepreneurship. Technically this company was started in 2011. Um, it didn't have the name Family Life Brands at that point. Um, at that point, uh, I was throwing uh, small parties and events in college uh, and uh, and that's how I got my, my started, uh, kind of get my feet wet in business. I was a business major at North Carolina Central. And um, after I graduated, I started a company called The Fossil Group. 
which was a marketing kind of a, a boutique marketing agency. Um, I had the opportunity to work with um, North Carolina Electrical, North Carolina Electrical Cooperatives, um, Hardee's and Carl's Jr. Um, it, you know, if, if you're familiar with Durham, um, I had a chance. I had the Palace International, which is an African-based cuisine restaurant, as a client. Um, the Susan G. Coleman Foundation. So I had a pretty good. Uh, a pretty good bevy of, of clients. But then I kind of saw that the, the, the industry was changing and that kids like 15, 16, 17, 18 year old kids knew how to do marketing better than our generation did and that they could do it because they grew up their entire lives with cell phones. So I um, I then began the process of transitioning and then forward vertically, basically forward vertically integrating and the business structure that was already in place by my, my grandfather, my father, my grandfather, and my great grandfather, I kind of, combined all of those pieces, put them all together. And then, you know, we have Family Life Brands, which was started by my wife and I. Um, there would be no Family Life Brands if my wife didn't, um, after my son was, after our son was born, if she didn't say, hey, I really am, I wanna do, like, I don't have any clothes that make me feel comfortable anymore. And like, I'm very active. I have to go to, the, you know, do my daily tasks that she has to do, but also I have to be able to go do tasks as a wife. I have to do tasks as a, as a, just a human being, as a woman. And I don't have clothes that make me feel comfortable in doing those things. So like, what can we create? And uh, from that, we created Mom Life Company, um, which is a store, a storefront that I, I believe that that's the store that you came in and saw and that it became, and that you have an experience doing. Um, Mom Life Company is 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 a is a a comfort brand, and for for moms, dads, and kids, um, we we you know sell kind of like comfort, maybe basically you know active wear clothing or athleisure clothing or however you want to kind of define it, casual clothing as well um, for moms, dads, and kids. And then um, our new baby is what you guys see in the background is Modern Revival, and. Um, and then when you start getting into multiple multiple brands, then now you have to have some sort of an umbrella um, that makes sense. And so for us, it made most sense for us to go family-like brands. That's the umbrella company that kind of represents all of the concepts that we have as a business. And I know that was a lot. That was like, what the world? You, you went back four generations. But uh, I felt it was very important for me to start there because I, I can't not talk about that and then make it seem like I just kind of arrived here. This is four generations of, of culminations of entrepreneurship that kind of grew, the spirit of entrepreneurship grew throughout those four generations. Um, and, and thankfully, uh, we're here today, man. You took us through four generations of your family that led you to where you are now with Family Absolutely. Life Brands and with the path that you're taking as an entrepreneur. Um, and so I want to circle back around to one, it sounds like this kind of started organically which is awesome and which you know generally is the best way because you're thinking of how can i help my wife and people like my wife and people who are just in their family and they have a lot of things to do during the day like you know nobody is ever just one thing nobody's ever just a father just a husband just you know whatever we have all these different hats and we need to be comfortable operating and living in the world as these people um and so i want to talk with you about you know, why you kind of set it on this, number one, because you could have had multiple avenues, just like, you know, your dad and your grandfather and your great-grandfather, um, but you set it on this, and then um, this is kind of where you stayed, and you're expanding now into this new storefront, so tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so I, I think that it ultimately boiled down to, um, I think it ultimately boiled down to, like, I just, 
you know, I'm a very focused person. Um, and, and I believe that in order for something to truly be successful in business, um, I have to be able to give my full attention to it. So, you know, like the, the, the glorified version of that story is what I just told. Like the non-glorified version of that story is that my great grandfather didn't die as an entrepreneur. Like he didn't, you know, by the time he got to a certain age, his entrepreneurship, his entrepreneurial ventures kind of had collapsed, right? Like, and, and the 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 non-glorified version of my grandfather's story is that he didn't pass away as an entrepreneur. As a matter of fact, he's, he's still alive, but he's not an entrepreneur now. Like, he he's verbally told me himself that he and my great-grandfather kind of like, you know, slid and slid in and slid out of their way of being able to utilize, and they utilized it more as a hustle as business owners rather than it was as being entrepreneurs which was was a, a pretty serious distinction that i've been able to create um currently like really in the last year and a half a distinction of understanding the difference between a business owner and an entrepreneur a hustler and an entrepreneur like those distinctions have become fairly clear to me but those distinctions don't become any more clear to me than my father's example. Because I had to be able to create this, and it's a great observation that you said that it was organic. I had to be able to be a, a very conscientious observer of my father's life. My father died from leukemia. And if anybody knows about leukemia, this is a white blood cell issue. Like this is something that attacks your energy levels. And the number one thing that any entrepreneur or any business owner or any hustler has to have is energy to constantly be able to get it done. But one of the lessons that he taught me when I would have a conversation with, with him would be, there's a difference between a hustler and an entrepreneur, son. Everybody's a hustler. Because if you get up in the morning and you go to work and you go get that check and you make sure that your family is taken care of and you provide for yourself and your family, you're a hustler. And that can transition into being a business owner, but an entrepreneur is a career. This is a 30, 40, 50 year career that you have to be dedicated to every single day and understand that the moment you decide that this is your career, it's no longer about you. It's about everybody else. It's about your staff. You work for your staff, your staff works for you. You guys, it's a collective agreement. It's a verbal agreement. And my father died trying to do that and so you know I always tell the beautiful version of that story the, the nice cute like Disney version of that is like my great grandfather was an entrepreneur my grandfather was an entrepreneur my father was an entrepreneur so I'm an entrepreneur right but like that doesn't tell that my great grandfather was a failed entrepreneur um so you are fairly young and even when you were starting your first business venture and marketing and branding and things like that you at one point even realized like hey like i'm young i'm a millennial you know i'm college educated but i'm not the best person to do this anymore you know Absolutely. um and so that was really interesting to me because we originally when we first started talking we got talking about how people are thinking about american capitalism thinking about how to accrue wealth and now there's this extreme, I don't want to call it extreme, but there is a very intense fascination with owning real estate, owning land, right? Mm -hmm. And you had some strong opinions about that that I would love to hear because I think there's always people like, okay, I want to, you know, be my own boss. I want to be self-employed. I want to be an entrepreneur. What's the best way for me to do that? You know, not everybody has 
um, a business background. I didn't have a business background. I yeah. had skills, I yeah. think. Um, I like to think, but you know, and I had to figure out the business side of that if I wanted to make it a career and make it an make it as an entrepreneur. But there's some people who maybe they're not artistically inclined and maybe don't have something that's come about as organically as your idea and don't have this family history and this family legacy of being a business owner, being an entrepreneur, and they are in, attracted to owning real estate, right? Absolutely. So what are what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, so we're all going to find our, like, I always kind of go there. We're all going to find our, our way. Like, we're all going to find our thing. Um, you know, entrepreneurship and, like, as well as in that real estate kind of infatuation, over-infatuation now is also this investment over-infatuation that we have now. is also that entrepreneurship over-infatuation. Like, they all are simultaneously kind of growing and over-infatuation in our community at the same time and and one of the things that i would like to help our people to understand a little bit is that as it pertains to entrepreneurship there is no such thing as you work for yourself you are never your own boss there is no such thing right so like let's say for instance you start a business it's successful right if that business is going to truly be successful you're going to have to impact others lives either by employment by providing employment or by providing a service or a good that impacts people's lives. Okay, in that, just that very literal sense, you don't work for yourself. And so I I'm, I'm, I have this hypothesis, or really it's more of a, a and, and then it's more like a, a synopsis, let's say that, right? that the reason why we have an over infatuation with entrepreneurship is because we have an, a, a large accumulation in our community of bad work experiences. We have a large accumulation of bad work experiences in our community. So that large accumulations, if I worked for a bad boss, if I had a bad boss, I'm talking about somebody, I, I put my request in, they never answer my request. Like I'm putting my request in, I need to go, I need to go on vacation, book up. Nah, we need you to work. Like I, I come to work three to five minutes late and they're, yo, you're always like, they're always hand, like hangering on your every single move. They're not good at team management skills. But that experience lingers in our head just like traumatic experiences. It's a traumatic experience. So the same way that a, a, if a woman or a man goes through a traumatic experience in a relationship, it seeds and it, it affects their ability to be in successful relationships for forever until unless they go and get help or therapy or things of that sort right it's the same experience as it pertains to work that traumatic experience that we most of us have from the age of 16 when we're eligible to work or 15 or 16 we're eligible to work that sticks with us so every single traumatic experience even if it's not at the same magnitude that happens in the workforce after that it affects our ability to be able to work inside of any company those traumatic experiences as it pertains to entrepreneurship is the reason why there's over infatuation with entrepreneurship and the over infatuation with entrepreneurship is not to solve a problem for most of us some of us it is for most of us it's because i want to get out of that bad relationship very similar to like i don't want to date like we hear a lot of our women say i don't want to date this type of man why because i have a an accumulation of terrible experiences with these type of men. Mm -hmm. So I would rather date this type of man. And like, I'm not willing to settle or anything less.
So real estate is a little different though. The infatuation with real estate is a little different. It's, I'm gonna say this and I'm just be honest and candid. It's kind of greedy, hmm. right? And like to be American is to be greedy. Okay, so like, let's make sure I kind of like preference that statement, right? To be American is to be greedy. But how we're approaching real estate is really greedy. Like, so let's just kind of think about the concept of it, right? Most of us, and I, I talk about this a lot. In most other situations, we never celebrate the at the beginning. We genuinely celebrate after we've completed something, right? So there's there's a, a large infatuation with like being happy about finally attaining a mortgage. Right. And we don't realize we're celebrating at day one of 30 years in most situations or 25 or 20 or 15 years, whatever your terms are. Right. But the kind of the, the infatuation with real estate is that, hey, these other communities have been eating very well off real estate and they've been driving the price tags of their real estate or whatever it is they've been doing and they've been making a lot of money from it. So now it's our turn. Here's the problem. We're doing it in our neighborhood. Where now we're affecting, like I was talking about before, grandma. We're affecting auntie, we're affecting grandpa, we're affecting mom and dad and the property value that's around them for the sake of flipping. Like that we have a good amount of people that are in real estate there's a right number of them. It's not everybody. There's a right number. Just like I, when I use the example of me being in the marketing industry, I'm not supposed to be in that industry. I don't care if I got a marketing degree. I ain't supposed to be there. It's a 16 year old who can do what I do. And he gonna charge a hundred dollars and, and so he can go buy an Xbox game. Like that's the other one. And then the last piece is the investment piece. And that goes into like, I'm a really, really big fan of Warren Buffett huge fan of Buffett, right? And I'm a huge fan of Buffett for one reason. He says from an investment standpoint or stock standpoint, stock and trading standpoint, that you should only focus on the asset itself, not the actual price of the of the, of the stock. Sure. That if you focus on the performance of the business itself, then you will know what is a good stock and what is not a stock. And that concept is because you get paid out from stocks based off of how a company performs, not because of how the the number on the freaking stock exchange changes. If I have stock in Nike, Nike must sell X amount of shoes for me to make return on investment, as well as everybody else. They must sell X amount of shirts, pants, hats. You know, they must enable X amount of college contracts um, to be able to make sure they're driving sales. But if they're not making sales inside the stores, then I'm not making money as a stakeholder or a shareholder. As a shareholder, as a shareholder. That's why I'm a big fan of Buffett. And that's where I think that a large amount of our people are infatuated is they don't understand, like, I'm actually brick and mortar. There's absolutely no reason in the world for me to have stock in Nike. They're my competitor. I That's so counterproductive, bro. We're all fighting for the same market share. I'm not succeeding to them just because they're the number one activewear brand in the, in the world. I'm in brick and mortar in the same place they are. 
I can walk in their building, they can walk in mine. I'm sitting in the same meetings as them. So unfortunately, you know, that over infatuation is a, a total a, based out of misunderstanding. The real estate one is based out of greed and the entrepreneurship one is based out of trauma. So yeah, that's that was a lot. Crazy. That was a lot, wasn't it? That was crazy. <laughs> that was a good breakdown crazy. though. Okay, cool. Because you know what I mean? Like those are like the typical three ways that a lot of younger people are getting involved in uh, generating multiple sources of income. You know what Absolutely. I mean? Like trying to flip houses, invest in real estate, invest in the stock market or whatever way we decide, like we want to start a business or a hustle or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, it's really about, you know, how are we looking at our life and our life expectancy and the life we want to live and how much money we need to have the life that makes us happy, right? Because it's as unfortunate as it is, we do need money to live a life of freedom, to have time freedom, to spend time with our family and things like that. So it's like, how am I going to get there, right? Um, and I think in a lot of ways, like, I don't know, I might get flagged for this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think for our generation and below, like the nine to five being our sole source of income, I don't think that's that's going to persist. You know what I mean? No, because no, it's not. It's not. I don't think so at all. We don't uh, want it. To. We don't want it to. No. We don't want it to. Yeah. No. And it's, you know, it's like people coming out with bachelor's degrees, master's degrees, and we're looking like, this is a starting salary. You know, <laughs> yeah. how this is set up is the generation ahead always is is they always make their wealth on the generation behind. It's, it's weird, like it's very, very weird. I had a, a, a professor in college, Dr. Moritank, who was my finance professor. And he, the first day I went and I, I got I believe it probably was the worst time in American history outside of now to go to college, you know, during the Great Recession. But like. Oh, day one, he said, yo, um, all of y'all came in class and nobody introduced themselves. We're in a recession. Most of you guys are going to graduate and not, aren't going to have a job waiting for you. So that's cool. You can come in and waste your time. You didn't introduce yourself to me. I have a job and I'm old enough to be your parent. I said, he, he told us specifically that first day of class, he said, I have a job because you come to school. I don't have a job because your parents come to school. My generation eats off your generation, which your generation will eat off the generation behind you. So I have to, so that poses this question for me. And I hope everybody can understand this and think about this, right? If everybody's entrepreneurs, who's gonna make money? Because that's the big concern, right? The biggest concern is that there won't be enough sustainable income for us to be able to have at least a decent quality of living, right? Meaning those, the jobs that are available now and the jobs that look like they're coming available in the future are not, there isn't enough of them to be able to produce good qualities of living for, for us. So we must go out and start businesses and start hustles and, and become entrepreneurs in order for that to work. But my question to you is, everybody that may hear this, if everybody goes through door A, How the freak we all gonna get out? So an entrepreneur understands that if everybody's going through A, I must go through B. 
or if everybody's going through A, B, and C because entrepreneurship, real estate, and investing, if everybody's going through door A, B, and C, right? I must go through like door Z. Like it's on the whole other side of the freaking auditorium. Nobody's even paying it any attention. And they don't even know that that's actually like, it's going to be a very, very long hallway, but shoot, nobody's going to be in that parking lot over there. Uh-huh. And so we, we've got we've to gotta be more conscientious. And I'm glad that this is turning more into a conversation. Right. Because like, you know, what I mean, like this is like where we this is the type of conversation we've got to have as far as our generation of our community. We've got to have it like everybody cannot be an entrepreneur. Like the statistics basically say only 10 percent of the entire world's population are actual entrepreneurs. Right. So it, it's incumbent on that 10 percent to be able to create enough jobs for the other 90 percent. The statistics also say that of that 10%, only, you know what I mean, 10% of that 10%, which becomes the 1% of the entire thing, 10% of that 1% actually are the ones that, that really got real money, like a whole lot, a whole lot of money, like the Bezos, the Buffets, the, you know, that's the 10% of the 10%. Yeah. They're the ones that really have such a really, really good amount of money. They're the 1%. The statistics say that. Not John. I don't say that. I would love for everybody to be rich. Shoot, it would be very cool. Lord knows, I wish I was rich. <laughs> like real talk, I wish you and I were rich, and we was like on here and we having a conversation. Like I'm like passing money to you through the computer. You pass me some. Like you know what I mean? Like I really, really do because I really genuinely want everybody to be able to win. But the reality is, everybody's got to find their way. That's why I said it earlier. And I always preference that statement with everybody has a lane. It's okay that you're not a CEO. Right? And that's like an actual distinction. Like, so I just I just want us to not be so like, I really want us to get a little bit better. I know nine to five is not the answer. Like our grandparents being dedicated to their job, their professions was a good answer for them, but that's not gonna be the answer for our community. So how do we for our generation of our of the community. So how do we create a balance? Yeah. How do we create a balance? Yeah, I mean, it begs the question. It's like, okay, if, you know, not, not everybody wants to work for a big corporation anymore. And there are entrepreneurs that are coming about, whether they're really good or, you know, not so great. And they're employing people. How are we creating an atmosphere that is conducive and healthy for people that will be working with us, right? Because like you said, not everybody's going to be at the top, but you are in a position to employ people and provide a work environment for them that is hopefully conducive with their skill set. Like, how are we now, as small business owners, as entrepreneurs, focusing on and realizing that people probably have a negative view of working in nine to five? Absolutely. They have a negative view of that. So how can we create an environment that is not toxic, that is very healthy, that is allows them to have agency in the job and stuff like that? Like what is our charge now as this, I don't say new age of entrepreneurs, but younger generation of entrepreneurs who's maybe had the experience of both working a nine to five that maybe wasn't so great, but now running our own company, whatever that means to us and being in a position to employ people. Like, what does that look like? Right. But you're absolutely, not- you're absolutely right that it is a new age of entrepreneurship. You're absolutely right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. A thousand percent. It's a new age, man. The older, the older cats, they don't, they don't understand how we do entrepreneurship. They, they, they don't. 
as a matter of fact, they are very, very, um, they're very interested in how we do it, how we do it the way we do it. Yeah. Because their way was very kind of like by the book cut and dry. Like they had a manuscript in front of them on how to be able to do it, how to grow it, how to scale it. Like we don't. What happened in 2008 to 2010, it tore that entire infrastructure. Hmm. It tore the entire infrastructure of business, of entrepreneurship, of shoot, even the actual infrastructure, like roads and highways and all that. Like everything was torn down when that financial crisis hit. Yeah. You're talking the housing market, which is the most stable. It's the most attractive thing in America. To even Thank you so much for speaking with me today. I know I got you a little out of your comfort zone, but yeah. I'm good. I, I can, I'm good. I can go do a political. I can go do a uh, an endorsement uh, uh, interview for you now.